Welcome to Business Leader Breakthroughs, where we help unlock the potential in you, your teams, and your business. I'm your host, Ryan Castle, along with Dr. Mike Ashby. We'll share insights, experiences, and stories on achieving breakthrough success in business and life. To learn more, click the link in the episode show notes or go to thebreakthrough.co. Now let the breakthroughs begin. Mike, welcome along to this episode of Business Leader Breakthroughs. Great to have you back on the show. It's great to be back, Ryan. It feels like it's been a while. So it is, mate. Look, I've, I've been uh, subbing you out for more famous people. You've been talking to other people, haven't you? I have. I have. <laughs> it's lucky we've got an open podcast relationship. It is just as well. It is just as well. And, my, and can I say, how much more interesting those people are than me? I uh, would entirely disagree. But <laughs> anyhow, you. let's not start this off as a difficult conversation because we are, yes. in fact, here today to talk about difficult conversations. About and difficult conversations, not have one. Yes. yes. Well, we'll see how it rolls. We might end <laughs> up there, but definitely yeah. the topic of difficult conversations. Yeah. And we have now worked with hundreds of organizations and the thousands of managers in those organizations. Of all the skills those organizations would like their managers to have, and there are numerous, but the one that most commonly comes up is, how can you help my managers be better at difficult conversations? Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't think it's just managers. We've got a senior leader program, a high-performance leadership program, and I was working with a group of execs. And in the in the course of some of the content, I said, "Oh, you know, having having these uh, challenging conversations with underperformers in your organisation, you, you either train, transfer, or terminate." And boy, did we go down a whole thing. And I should have known because exactly as you say, every organisation, every owner or leader you talk to, you start the th- you start the conversation about how do we deal with underperformers who are kind of not bad enough to fire without, you know, not fire on the spot and they're, we can't, they're not bad enough to put them in performance, but how do we, how do we deal with them? And that always starts, a very, and we just spent the rest of the time talking about that. And then, so that was a month ago. And then when we came back into the program, we were meant to move on to the next piece of content. All we did was talk about the conversations they had. It's a really fundamental piece of management. And it's it's really hard because it's it's look, a difficult conversation is anything that we find hard to talk about because we fear the consequences. And we, you know, we we focus at work, but it's the same, it's the same throughout our lives. Do we avoid the conversation or do we confront it? It's a bit like that, you know, that hand grenade. You kind of feel like you're pulling the pin out and chucking it in. And, and once you've pulled the pin out, you can't kind of put it back in. You, you've, you've got to go through with it. So you, you we, we all tend to hold off for as long as we can, don't we? We do. And it's because there's the emotion involved. And yeah. the emotion is typically on two sides. It's not only for the person, maybe the manager, who feels like they need to have the difficult conversation. They feel emotional about it. And then the person on the receiving or the you know, other side of the conversation also has their, their emotional reaction to a difficult yeah. conversation. Yeah. And occasionally you get uh, one-sided emotion and that can be a really bad outcome as well, where you get people that are devoid of empathy and yeah. they they go, right, here, here's, here's my coaching mode. I'm just going to lay it all out. I don't think it's a difficult yeah. conversation because I'm just yeah. going to tell you how bad you are. Um, yeah. Don't feel like that results in very positive outcomes. No, that's more like a kicking really, isn't it? An old-fashioned hiding. And it's not, it's, it's not how... Uh, people expect to be treated today, and it's not respectful. And I guess it's important to go back to the purpose of these conversations. There is a time for a straight out lecture, right? There is a time, 
in extreme circumstances where a balling out is exactly the right response and there is nothing to say on the other side. Very rare. Mostly what we're trying to do in a difficult conversation is process and resolve an issue. And we're doing it through communication. And that's really important to hold on to that purpose. You're not there to win an argument. You're not there to beat the other person because you've, it must be that you're already invested in maintaining the relationship. Like you want to keep this person or you want them, or you want to retain a relationship with this person, whether you want to keep them or whether you are happy to see them go, you want to keep a relationship with them. That's different from, look, you can leave tomorrow. You've, you've, you know, you've done so badly, you've behaved so badly or whatever that you can go right now if you want. That's different. You have so, breached our values and yeah. breaching our values is not acceptable and there is a consequence to that. That's yeah. not what we're talking about here. That would be a disciplinary meeting. That would be, a, yeah. you know, you've breached our values. Uh, yeah. What we're talking about here is uh, growing someone, going, yeah. hey, we're observing some things here that are not going the way they uh, should be. Let's have a conversation about where how, how we have that conversation, and then uh, it's a growth. We're really looking to invest in this person, and yeah. part of the investment is confronting the fact that we have to have the difficult conversation. But you bring it uh, with care and respect for the individual because you want them to grow and be better in your organisation, and you want them to stay. You're prepared to have a conversation about where you try and process and resolve the issue, and and the issue might be one of I kind of in the in the content we separate out underperformance, which is about capability. So let's let's confine this one to attitude. And that might affect their performance, but it's there's an attitude thing or a behavior that is destructive or not constructive or undermining. Um, the conversations we were having yesterday were very much about people who by their attitudes and demeanors were undermining the team and sometimes quite subtly and some and in quite underhanded sort of fashion. So I guess the where you start is um, in these kinds of conversations is is what happened. And that's always interesting because uh, we have our own version of reality. You know, we we have we think we've seen and you know, all you have to do here is think about a conversation that you've had with a loved one. We've, you know, your last, your last row, it started with what the other person thought had happened. And it's so different from your version. Well, that's true at work too. We have a bunch of things going on. We have the truth assumption, which is, this is what I saw and I know what's true. So I must be right. And we have uh, what we call the intention invention, which is, this is what you were thinking when you said that. That is always guaranteed to inflame things. You've got it wrong. You know, there's no way you can. So when you're sitting down with the person that and you're, you know, that you're trying to have this conversation with. And if you hear yourself thinking, they did this because, just remember you're wrong pretty much that, 99% of the time. That is a great frame. Yeah. And if you, if you can just, you might be right. There's probably more than 1% chance. You might be, you might have reasons for being more confident, but you don't know. You are inventing that. And then the third one is who's to blame? Because we love blame. Is that a scapegoat I see running past? <laughs> That's right. A scapegoat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's called the blame game, isn't it? Because it is a game. Um, you know, who's to blame here? So let's overlay those three elements, the truth assumption, the intention invention, and the blame game. You just reminded me of an example. I was working with a client. We were do actually doing some active manager training with the, with the group. I was running a collab and there was an individual in the group who really came to that learning experience with a very closed mindset. Mm. And the basis for her closed mindset was, I am 
so busy. I work, she was a person that arrived at work at 6am in the morning, worked all day, worked late into the afternoon, wore it like an absolute badge of honour. And because of that perception, and I'm thinking about how I overlive these three and make sure that I don't trip myself up in the overlay, but um, you know, the my perception of her response in that learning experience was, uh, I just come with a closed mindset because I work really hard. I work really long hours. I'm a bit of a martyr in this organization. Right at the time, I was like, a difficult conversation needs to take place here. Probably my assumption was, maybe you're not doing your job as effectively as you could if you think it takes you that long. Mm-hmm. That could have been an assumption. Another one, another truth assumption would be you're not contributing as much as you should or could here. You're not contributing as much as you could here. That's your truth. And what do we feel that that person's, what what might have their truth assumption been? Their truth assumption may well have been, I'm trying as hard as I can. How can you say that? I mean, that's a classic what happened, right? It's exactly the same scenario, but we've got totally different versions of it. I'm, I'm, I'm here, you know, despite everything else. I'm goddamn here. What else do you want? I talk. Uh, if we move to the intention invention, what might have I been inventing? I might have been inventing in that moment that uh, her intention was not to, to to participate and she had no interest in doing so. And her intention was by behaving, let's call, call it badly or negatively in that, her intention was to send a message to everyone else about, look at me, I'm too busy for this. So that may have been her uh, you know, even subconscious intention. Mm-hmm. That's that's what we may have thought, right? Yes, that's yes. that's what we invented. Yes, that she was yep. just just trying to, just trying to kind of send out the big martyr signal to everybody. Look at me, I'm so hard done by, right? Mm-hmm. And then in the blame frame, I in that role I had in leading that group, my blame frame might have been. Um, because you're coming with that intention, you're wrecking the the learning experience for others and you're not making this as so I, I'm squarely placing the outcome of this learning experience for everyone at your doorstep. Yeah. And you're to blame for your own situation. I love the idea of contribution instead of blame. I think it's a really powerful way. You know, we had a, a big family dust up, bust up, oh, you know, kind of, uh, yeah, without without going into all the grisly details. It had been a long time coming and it was pretty it was pretty nasty. And I was thinking about, oh, who's to blame? Who's more to blame? And, and then I realized it's just the wrong way to think about it. Actually, who contributed? Because there were a couple of people who contributed more than anybody else. But there were, you know, two or three others who contributed quite a lot. And in fact, when I looked at it, we all contributed, including me. And thinking about it in in terms of contribution in a workplace setting is who's contributed to that that person in the the collab? What has contributed to her behavior? Certainly she has. Absolutely. Has her manager? Yeah, probably. Somewhere along the line, they've contributed by either not giving them enough resource, failing to stop them doing too much themselves, failing to almost enforce a work-life balance, a more balanced approach, failing to have the difficult conversation early on. They're all contributions to that outcome. And perhaps the people around are also made a contribution by not speaking up. You know, when you look at it like from contribution, it's a wide circle. And that's much more valuable than blame, I think. So say I was that uh, person's manager and I had identified that this conversation needs to take place. What should I do before I even 
talk about having that conversation or setting the meeting? How should I think about preparing that for that myself? Yeah, I think you've. I think it's really important that you look at what you're bringing. So you look at the. You know, you you start by detaching detaching yourself a little bit from it and you go into you know our active mindset what's really going on here and you look at yourself and you realize yeah you're actually pretty annoyed with her or him for their behavior what they're doing in the group and it's kind of ruining the the group process and yeah, you know this is not the first time and you're probably carrying quite a lot of stuff about them quite a lot of feelings actually the first thing you got to do is acknowledge how you feel to yourself. And once you've done that, you can take a more detached but still compassionate approach. So I think it, I think it starts there, um, starts with owning your feelings. What would you? What advice would you give yourself? Yeah, similar, I think, acknowledging how I was uh, feeling about it. Uh, one little anecdote that always rings true for me, Mike, is something that you <laughs> taught me years ago uh, when you reflected on a senior leader at a bank and whenever uh, he had a uh, difficult conversation to have, he always opened the conversation with, we have a problem. Yeah. And the yeah. use of the word we rather than you are a problem or I've got a bone to pick with you or something, yeah. it, it initially started there. And then I always try to think about the uh, what's the process we, we're talking about here, what, what's going on, rather than looking to, a, to uh, critique the individual themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And and look, that's really important too. First off, this is about feelings, right? It's your feelings, it's their feelings. If there were no feelings, it wouldn't be a difficult conversation. It would just be a technical conversation. So in a way, your difficult conversation is about feelings. And a lot of people go, oh, let's, you know, let's just keep this professional. It's only business. I have famous last words. It's it's only it's not personal, it's just business. Uh many a dirty deed's been done uh under that guise. So it starts with your feelings, owning owning your feelings, and then being open to hearing their feelings. I think that's that's really important, and it's part of the um, the mindset you go in with. And you know, back back to your feeling, anger is actually okay. From, from there are times, as we talked about, when uh, you know something's gone seriously wrong. Maybe it's uh, I always remember a great article from years ago, a guy called Bing who wrote uh, in the, he was on the back page of Fortune magazine. Seriously, I think it's it's 2006 or something and I've still got it. It's called The Upside of Anger. Uh, Google it because it's, it's really good. And it just talks about how he went from being all kind of relaxed and mild and people were taking the mickey and they weren't getting the presentation done and now nah, they're just a bit sloppy and what came in was rubbish. And he, you know, he just blew like complete kind of volcano and, uh, you know, made various threats and all this kind of stuff. And it, it, the workplace went very, very quiet for a very long time. And what emerged, what landed on his desk at eight o'clock in the morning was perfect. And he, you know, he breathed, he breathed. There are times when you, when anger is appropriate, not in the conversation, and certainly not aggression. Yes. And you've got to- about making that anger personal. And it's not about, and it's absolutely- about keeping it to the behavior, not the person. You know, you can you can criticize behavior and, and that's reasonably objective. But you, you know, criticizing the person who is probably trying their best, it just takes you into a space that you're not going to get out of nicely. So always about the behavior. And when you start the conversation, getting to their getting to their feelings. 
What's go- what was going on for them? How did they feel about that? Invite people to share. And people are always more willing to hear constructive feedback if they also feel like they are being heard. Difficult yeah, yeah. conversations should never be one way. Yeah. They are not a lecture. They are a conversation exactly. for yeah. a reason. It's a, it's a process, you know, process and resolve an issue. The number of times difficult conversations have pretty much ended once I've once somebody has talked about how they felt about a situation uh, and literally got it off their chest and feel that I've, that I've heard them, then we can move on to the to the resolution. But you can't move on to the resolution until you've done the process. And part of the processing is getting the feelings out on the table and people need to feel safe with that. Now, in our active manager program, when we teach people the skill of difficult conversations, we usually have a cheat sheet uh, and that really helps them to prepare in advance for the uh, conversation. We, we won't go through that in detail yeah. in this podcast, but what are some of the things that people should be giving consideration to before they, before they arrive? So we've talked about the, um, the feelings, the feelings mm-hmm. piece, mm-hmm. about uh, that understanding of uh, coming with the active mindset Yep. about looking at, at behavior. Uh, what yep. else should we be thinking about as we lead into that conversation? Taking the attitude of learning, not winning. Oh, that's uh, good. It is good, good, isn't it? That's yeah, good. I think it's, yeah, yeah. Learning, not winning. You are there to- But I'm always first... right. <laughs> oh, no, hang, hang oh, on a moment. Right. No, uh, you're still right. No, you're still right. Don't worry about that. You will achieve a lot more if you start out seeking to learn rather than to win. And that involves what do you think happened? How did you? How did this situation make you feel? And then the, you know the the we have a problem. I think owning that. I, I love that phrase. I've used it myself. So John Anderson was was somebody who used that, and, and he was a, an outstanding chief executive. Uh, and he would he would start with we have a problem because if the person's got a problem, I've got a problem, and if, if the two of us have got a problem, the organisation's got a problem. Probably the rest of the team's affected. All of that stuff. We really, it really is we, you know, you're not the problem. The behavior is a problem for all of us. So we share the problem. I think the other thing to do is really be prepared to manage yourself during the conversation. I think this is really important. You know, it's almost certain that you'll get knocked off balance. You know, some, they will say something that triggers you. Triggers is a very popular word these days. They will say something that sets you off and you have to be prepared. And, you know, we know what it's like to be knocked off balance. It's that kind of moment of, you know, the adrenaline starts. We're going to fight, flight or freeze. We're going to do one of those three. And that's the moment that we have to prepare for. We don't know when it's going to happen, but it is going to happen. And in that moment, we have to be prepared to just stop and take that kind of three breaths so that we create a little bit of space between the uh, the stimulus and the response, between what's happened and our reaction, because that reaction is driven by the old lizard brain, you know, the prehistoric kind of uh, taking care of my species, including me, the, the survival instinct, right? So three breaths, active mindset, and just regain, you know, make a choice about how you respond. I think the other one that that I have found really, really important and 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 really um, empowering too is in in these when we kind of mull over these conversations, when we ruminate about them as we do, often what we're focused on is their reaction and how we seem to them. The fact that they're going to get angry, the fact that they're going to they're going to cry, the fact that they're going to yell, the fact that they're going to go all quiet, the fact that they're going to turn it back on me. 
what we have to do is let go of the idea that we can control their reaction. We can't control their reaction. And if we let go of that idea, then we can focus on looking after ourselves. You know, it's their reaction. It's their history. What this is about for them is all to do with where they've been. And we have no, we have nothing to do with that. What's the best thing you can do when people start yelling? Yell back. (laughs) Second one, yell back, calm down. (laughs) That always works, doesn't it? Always. Will you you just calm down? Never fails. Mm. Yeah. So I think they call that fuel to the fire, don't they? They do. And and I think it, part of the mindset of coming to these conversations is going, we may not get this resolved, addressed, all talked through in one meeting. Yeah, absolutely. As much as we'd like to, as much as we'd like to go, oh, I've got a difficult conversation. I just want to get in, get over and done with. Yeah. yeah. Actually, my experience has been sometimes if the emotion is getting away to go, Let's let's go away. Think about this. Both we can come back tomorrow or the you know a few days time and yeah. uh, discuss it again. Or or sometimes we are aware of team members that they are overnight processes. It's how they think about things. They don't like totally. to be requested to process things on the spot. Yeah. So yeah. being at a table, going, this is an audience. I want to hear from you. Would you like to think about this overnight? And we'll talk again yeah. tomorrow. It can really de-escalate that emotion and the feeling piece. Yeah. Um, and that is our role as managers and leaders is that this is not a once and done thing. No. This, you know, growing this, our people. Yeah, totally. Totally. And and helping them to resolve, you know, problems that we've got. And this might surprise you given how well you know how much I talk, right? I am an overnight processor. I am definitely a go away and process the emotion piece. Uh, I am not fast to express emotions. Oh, I do get a little impatient, don't I? I can get a bit grumpy. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but in, in really in deeply difficult conversations, no, I'm, I've got to go away. I've got to just, you know, literally overnight. And then I can, then I can actually be, I can own the emotion and, and st- but still be quite calm. But I can talk about my emotions much, much better uh, in a way that, that, you know, creates some understanding around it. There's something uh, my old mentor, Peter Taylor, used to say, we had some horrendously difficult conversations in our in our role at the current company monitoring unit. Big, big arguments. And and he would always say, look, if we can't solve the problem, let's agree a process. And I think that's such a great, that's great wisdom. We don't try and solve the problem now with what we know and what we've got. Let's create a process that we can sign up to and agree that this will, you know, kind of tell us the answer, give us the answer we need. That's all part of of holding on to yourself and having tools that you can go to. You're not having to rely on your lizard brain because you really don't want to rely on on your lizard brain. I suppose the other one in the kind of uh, the tools to go to is is holding to purpose, which is always what's in the best interests of the business. And that enables you as a manager to stand back from how you feel about this and how your ego is threatened or you're you're feeling you're being undermined or you're feeling or you're feeling uh, too sympathetic or you go, you're going too soft. Always going back to the best interests of the business helps you make the right decision and, and hold fast to that. Uh, great example with one of the guys on the program. He had somebody who was on um, ACC on workers' compensation. 
uh, had injured his hand at work and uh, had been off work for a, for a number of months. Uh, he wanted to come back. There was genuinely no role for him. There was he couldn't do light duties. He certainly couldn't resume his role. And it was a really awful conversation to have to have to say, look, I'm afraid there's just no job here for you. Uh, you know, and and our guy was was a procrastinator from to start with. His his colleagues used to say he feathered things. He would always kind of fudge things and you know take a long time to get to it. So he had to have this this difficult, really difficult conversation. And he said that the the thing that enabled him to hold fast to it when he was immensely sympathetic to this person's plight was it's it just doesn't work for the business. It's just not in the best interests of the business. And it's not even good for this guy because we, you know, we can't give him a decent job to do to get paid. He is basically He's a passenger. But the most important thing that he just kept holding to was the best interests of the business. And sometimes that's really, really hard. That's why these conversations are difficult. As, as it turned out, it was resolved. You know, the process was one where the way through it was, first off, no, you can't work here. And once that was kind of processed and resolved, then they could move to how can we help you find a, a job that is suitable for where you're at now? And Mike, in business career that I, I think unfortunately now have to count in decades, not individual years, <laughs> still a boy I have around. been still a boy party around. to a, you know, a number of difficult conversations. Yep. None yep. of them have ever ended badly. Mm-hmm. When I've bought mm-hmm. the intention of a balanced conversation, keeping my emotion in check, you know, my my overwhelming experience has been the person on the other side of the table has been willing to have a constructed converse, constructive conversation around what's mm. been going on, and there's never been a bad outcome. Has there been emotion involved? Yep, of course there has. Mm. Has there been has there been tears on occasion? Yes, there has. But at the at the end of those that individual or multi stage conversations, I can honestly say I never feel like there's been a uh, a bad outcome where I felt either myself or the other person involved was um, left belittled or in a mm. state of rage or you know any of those kind of things. And I think that's part of why we look to avoid difficult conversations as we mm. start picturing the worst possible nightmare that might come out of these. You know, yeah. when you treat people with care and respect, I've always found that they've been uh, willing to have a you know an open and constructive conversation about it. I, could, I probably have had some that left an aftertaste for the other person or left an aftertaste for me. Uh, at, on the other side of it, because that's happened too, of course. Uh, but I would say that I think you are particularly, particularly good at this. You are particularly good at holding to the purpose and both enabling people to share their emotions and, really importantly, always respectful and and always compassionate. And and this was the conversation we had with the, the guys yesterday uh, in this team, you know, the the... They talked about how they had carried out these conversations and they'd done a really good job with some difficult people and some not very and some pretty ambiguous situations. But what really came through was both purpose, holding to the purpose, and treating the people with compassion. Now, compassion, we don't hear, I don't think we hear much about compassion these days. We hear about empathy and things like that. And empathy is a form of it. I think compassion is a is a wonderful human quality. I think it's part of a more human workplace is that we have compassion for people 
who find themselves in difficulties, who find themselves on the on the wrong side of a difficult conversation. And the thing we can do that's most important and perhaps most compassionate is to be prepared, is to be resolute, but is to stand in their shoes, is to allow our hearts to feel compassion for them. That's a more human workplace. It is. And like the framework that we have in our active manager program just gives you a really great guide on how to do that preparation without having yeah. to do the wing it, remember it, doing oh, some yeah. preparation in advance is really, really helpful. And uh, whilst I you know, thank you for your uh, comment around uh, how I handle these situations, you know, it's a skill that I've learned. I wasn't mm, born being mm, great at great at this stuff. They are, yeah. you know, through um, our own programs, mentoring mm. from you, things I've observed with other leaders I've worked for and with. Um, they are skills that I have learned, and you know that's what we'd say to any of our uh, managers: is these are skills that can be learned. These are skills that can be learned, and it's and it's simple techniques like the one I've used from time to time, or quite often actually, is as I put my hand on the door to go into the room where the meeting's going to happen. I just say to myself, "I've got this." So that's a reminder for me to take responsibility for myself and my reactions and to be less concerned with taking responsibility for controlling how they are, how they're feeling, how they're responding. I can't, I have no control over that, but I do have control over myself. And we have lots of tools available. And, and through, as you say, through the Active Manager Program, all about taking responsibility, how we can better take responsibility for ourselves in a difficult conversation. That's a good wrap, Mike. Thank you for sharing your insights and knowledge on this this topic. And you are, of course, the uh, author of our learning content. So this is something you've spent a, a lot of uh, time not only bringing your personal experience to, but also researching far and wide about what the latest and uh, most effective techniques are in this area. So thanks for sharing that knowledge today. And to our listeners, we hope you have found this of interest and we'd certainly love to hear back to you via our comments on our podcast page uh, your own experience of difficult conversations whether you have been the initiator or the recipient uh, what have you found has worked well and uh, what would what could work better thanks mike thanks ryan a pleasure as always